Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. Today, I'm here with Henry Fong. Going on. <laughs> so you're originally born in uh, Jupiter? Yeah, you? I'm from Florida. I grew up in a town called Jupiter, Florida. Mm-hmm. If you're not from Florida, you probably would not know what Jupiter, Florida is. I actually have one of my best friends from Jupiter. Oh, Florida. no way. That's why I was like, Jupiter, yeah. Okay, so the best way to describe <laughs> Jupiter, it's the top of South Florida. So people think of South Florida, they think of like South Beach, Miami. Oh. I'm like an hour north of that, and it's totally not like South Beach, but it's still considered South Florida. Mm-hmm. And it's like a it's like a really small town. There's not that many people live there. It's not a big town, but it's not a small town. And uh, it's really mellow. And the whole city is based on like outdoor stuff. Like uh, oh, it's wow. like a fishing town. It's like oh. fishing town. Everybody has boats. Like seafood and stuff or not? Yeah, like the, one of the big businesses. Like a lot of my friends are like commercial fishermen and stuff like that. And then uh, the other big industry there is like golf. So there's a lot of there's golf courses and fishing. And that's what Jupiter, Florida is. That makes sense because I don't, wait, do they have uni in Florida? Not right, but I know you love it. Uni? Yeah. Like sea urchin sushi? Yeah. Uni? Oh yeah, yeah, I love it. No, they don't have that there, <laughs> but they do have good sushi there. Because, uh, but yeah, one of my first jobs in high school, um, I was, I worked on a commercial fishing boat. Oh, wow. Yeah, we'd go out all day and just like catch fish and sell it at the market. Oh, that <laughs> sounds so cool. Fun. <laughs> Are your parents originally from there or? My dad was born in Arkansas. His family came, they immigrated from China. Oh. In, um, right after the Great Depression, they came from China. Yeah. And then uh, my mom's family is from the South. So like Kentucky, Tennessee. Oh. And then uh, Michigan. Do you still have connections to China? I think I have some long lost like, relatives there, I'm sure. But most of the family, like all my aunts, uncles, cousins, um, that side of the family, they all live in um, here in California. Oh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so you're mixed also? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Mixed. So it's uh, Chinese and like Southeast Asian, like Vietnamese and Indonesian, and then uh, European. Oh, that's like pretty much the same as me, kind so it's of. Like, <laughs> European is like uh, Irish, English, French, and German. Because mm. I grew up in Hong Kong, so I'm like. Oh, you grew up in Hong Kong? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so, so then, cool. But it's the opposite. My mom's Chinese and my dad's American, so you're like the, the oh, swap. Yeah. I thought you were Hispanic for some reason. <laughs> I was guessing. I was like, maybe I just got tan or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really cool. That's really cool. I remember my dad would go to Hong Kong sometimes when I was little. Do you know where in China he's from? Yeah, so they're from the south. They, that's what I, I thought. Actually, I swear I have so many classmates like Henry Fong. It's like super they were actually Hong uh, Kong. Cantonese. Okay, so they're yeah. From, uh, Guangdong. Yeah. So that's actually really close to Hong Kong. Yeah, that's why. Because right, Hong Kong your is name uh, Cantonese is sounds too. So Hong Kong, or yeah. like yeah, South oh. China, yeah. Hong Kong. Yeah. Mm. This is something that asks a lot of like mixed people. But did you have like cultural, uh, like cultural identity difficulties growing up? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Very much so. I think um, growing up in Florida, Florida is like it's very like politically it's like very conservative, very uh, Republican. I think growing up, I was just kind of like one of the only Asian kids in the whole whole city, probably, mm-hmm. <laughs> that I remember. And especially school, I was, uh, it was just maybe me, my sister, and like one or two other kids in the entire high school, middle school. 
on the Asian. So yeah. I think it was, uh, I think growing up, and especially too, because my, um, my, my dad and his family and uncles and stuff, when they came over here, when they moved over here from China, they grew up in the South and they faced like a lot of like um, racism. Yeah, what? That's so interesting that they went to the south. I feel like a lot go to like San Fran or something. Yeah, so they 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 first went and they they moved to they settled in Seattle and then uh, after Seattle they moved around a little bit, but they ended up in the south because a lot of the when the Asian people immigrated uh, to the U.S. they settled in the big cities like you know and then they make like yeah. Chinatown and Koreatown and stuff. And I think they that my family felt that the businesses were a little um, com too competitive there, oh, so yeah. they wanted to move deeper into the U.S where the businesses weren't as competitive and uh, you know most of the people they start the Asian families they would start restaurants or yeah. uh, like a general store or something mm -hmm. so my family ran a, a general store in uh, a, a really really small town in Arkansas growing up there so they moved there and um, right after the around Great Depression or so so then by the time my uncle and dad were born it was uh, it was before civil rights so it was crazy man they got beat up at school every day oh they got called all kinds of names they uh, they had to use the colored uh, water fountains. They couldn't oh. ride the buses. Stuff like that happened wow. all the time. So growing up, like my dad was like, I think he pressed on me. That was like, he never really pushed Asian culture on me too hard because he was just like, hey, like I, I want us to succeed in, in, um, you know, in this country and stuff. And he, I think he, just tried to adapt to the American way of life more mm -hmm. so rather than. Uh, maintain uh, his like cultural heritage mm -hmm. as much. So when, by the by the time I got to high school and stuff, I was just not really. I didn't even think of myself as being any part Asian or anything. I was just like, I just want to be just a normal American kid. Mm -hmm. I don't care about that. Yeah. Was there a turning point that you wanted to find your roots more? When I moved here. Mm. Yeah, it's crazy. So I moved here uh, seven years ago, and man, growing up in 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 Jupiter, Florida, you're just like so sheltered from all this stuff. And then I went to college in Orlando and even, even going to one of the biggest, I went to University of Central Florida in, um, yeah. in uh, Orlando and even going to one of the biggest colleges, I still didn't feel like at home with my culture or anything. And I just, again, I just wanted to fit in and I just, I just wanted to be like a white American. I just, mm -hmm. I never even considered any, considered myself anything else besides like, I just, I guess I'm just American. And, uh, and then I moved out here, and then I was just like, holy shit. I was like, I went to a show, and I looked in the crowd, and it was like 50% Asian. <laughs> yeah, and so I'd never seen here. anything that in my yeah. whole life. And I was so sheltered from that uh, growing up in Florida. And I was like, this is crazy. This has been out here my entire life. Yeah. And I didn't know about it. You have no idea. Like, growing up in a small town in, in South Florida, it's not really properly South Florida, because South Florida is very Hispanic and stuff, mm -hmm. and very ethnically mixed. And it's a, it was just, man, it was just such a, a life-changing experience. Yeah. And I moved out here and then I saw how diverse the culture was and how normal it was to be of a, a mixed race in Los Angeles. And I was like, dude, that's so cool. And then slowly and slowly and slowly, the last like seven, eight years I've lived out here, I've been so much more open to, you know, my cultural heritage and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I get to hang out with my Asian family. And it's just like... I get to participate in the things that they had been doing this whole time where yeah. me and my dad and my mom growing up, we never did anything like that. So that was really, yeah. that was really cool. And I think uh, the last, the whole time I've been here and that's why I like, you know, living in a place like Los Angeles, there's just so much, it's, it's, it's a lot more free thinking and a lot more, um, 
it's a lot easier to be yourself mm -hmm. in, a, in, in a big city like this. That's so interesting because I yeah. feel like I had kind of the opposite, whereas like in my year alone, we had like 15, 20 Eurasians. And then I realized that it's actually really uncommon. Eurasian. And that was like, yeah, probably is, like, Eurasians, yeah. yeah, like, or half us or how, like 50 or 60 in, in my school. Like in Hong Kong, there were so many. Really? Be, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then here I'm like, wait, I haven't, you're probably like one of the rare ones that maybe the first like mixed person Eurasian that I've met here. So it's actually so uncommon. Yeah, they had a club. I remember at college they had a club and they were trying to like recruit me. <laughs> They're like... And then my my friend was a uh, he's Puerto Rican. He's like, dude, let's just go. He's like, there's chicks in there, man. <laughs> I'm like, no, nah, dude. But yeah, they did have a little club um, when I went to college, and that was like kind of the first thing I saw about that. But yeah, again, growing up in Florida, it's just different different ball game. Mm -hmm. What kind of music were you listening to growing up? It was like Prodigy, Dr. Dre. Yeah, okay. I, I listen to all the normal stuff, uh, but I think the first time I, I remember listening to a lot of like rock, I like listening to like Green Day and stuff. But I think the first time I like really got like hooked on music was when I heard like the Sublime album, like the self-titled mm. Sublime album. I don't remember how old I was. I think 40 Ounce of Freedom came out in 92. So I was only, I was super young then. And then um, I think it was the next album, the self-titled album, which that has all the big hits on it that everyone knows. Mm -hmm. That was the first album I remember just playing front to back, front to yeah. back. I was like, I love this. And then I would listen to 311. And then uh, 311. So like I, I really got into kind of, it's that hybrid reggae, rock, ska kind of punk sound. And I, I really, got in, uh, really got involved in that. Oh, and then I remember also growing up in South Florida too, uh, Latin music was really popular. Oh yeah. So when I was in high school, I remember like Daddy Yankee hmm. was like blowing up and, and then uh, Sean Paul, like dance hall was really popular because yeah. uh, I was at the top of South Florida so I could pick up all the radio stations from Miami and uh, when I was in high school so the club music playing at that time was you know Sean Paul and reggaeton and stuff like that too so I, I, I really enjoyed listening to that stuff as well. But are your parents creative or where do you think that you're? No not at all. Yeah. Not creative at all so uh, my dad worked for the government. Oh okay. He worked for the he worked for the Air Force oh, in the okay. Pentagon. Yeah. So he was like, um, that's what he did most of his life. Mm -hmm. So and my parents mom? weren't creative at, at, at all. Yeah. And they just, uh, I, I don't know how I, so I, I think I took a different approach to music. But I, um, I, I played saxophone in band oh, okay. in middle school. And I yeah. think that was maybe my first exposure to music. Mm -hmm. I learned how to read music. I played the saxophone. I played in the band. And I, I think that I just kind of was forced into it because it's like you go into middle school and they're like you can do drama or you can play music and I was like I want to do music yeah how do you describe yourself back then growing up uh, I was just um, my family's like really sports oriented like all the kids just like baseball basketball every season just compete 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 sports yeah. sports sports so I think most of my life I just remember always playing sports every sport and uh, I that's what I mainly remember growing up just me and my cousins and uh, sister just always playing sports. Mm -hmm. Were you gonna get a like a sports scholarship for college? So I had tried. I I was really competitive in baseball growing up. Oh wow! I was a pitcher, and then I hurt my I hurt my um, elbow mm -hmm. and had to sit like a season or two out. And then I, it just was never. I, I came back in. And I was just so far behind. I had to quit baseball at like 14, 15, and then uh, played a lot of basketball too. But then 
I feel like I, by the time everyone got to high school, everyone was like growing really tall. And I, <laughs> I, I grew, I think I grew later on. Yeah. And I was just sort of really discouraged because I wasn't as tall as a lot of the kids playing basketball. So then I ended up quitting basketball and then I picked up soccer. And then I really, really enjoyed soccer even though it was like the last sport I learned. And soccer is one of those things I think where it's, it's really kind of hard to pick up uh, later on in life. Yeah. So wait, what did you study in college? Uh, I studied marketing. Oh, yeah. what made you want to study that? I don't know. I was just like, I don't want to do... The classes were easier than normal business. And then I was like, the, uh, I, I enjoyed like parts of like the digital stuff because I was mm. always good at computers. So I also like, studied marketing. Yeah, so yeah. as you know, like there's a lot of like digital kind of media communications classes involved in some of the marketing stuff. So yeah, that's kind of went with marketing because I'm like, I'm kind of good with computers and stuff and I understand that stuff. And, uh, didn't occur to you to study music or you just didn't want to? I see the thing with music, I just never really was, I love listening to music and I, it was more about the DJ aspect rather than the musician part. I wanted to be a DJ. So I, I first got turntables when I was 14 and I wanted to be like a scratch battle DJ, oh, like wow. hip hop records. So one, one year for Christmas, my mom got me these turntables and I tried to learn how to <laughs> scratch and be a battle DJ, but I lived in the middle of Jupiter, Florida and there's like, you know, trying to learn something like that in, in, a, in a small like fishing town like that is kind of difficult. Mm-hmm. So then I kind of gave up, put the turntables away and I got to college and then I saw DJs again. And then I went home and I found my turntables that had been sitting there for, you know, like eight years or something, nine years in, in my closet. I found them again and that re-inspired me. And then I started DJing in the clubs at college. And then just through that whole experience, the music production came in. Because mm-hmm. then I realized, yeah. hey, this is the only way I can, you know, keep DJing and DJ on a bigger level is I, I need to learn music production. So then mm-hmm. I linked up with a couple friends and uh, they showed me how to make music. And back then you were listening to like Crookers, right? Yeah, so I listened to a lot of like Bloghouse, Electro stuff, like Crookers, Bloody Beat Roots, uh, some of the early Steve Aoki stuff that came out on Dimac. It was really dope. Um, I'm trying to think. Mastercraft, Justice, like all that Bloghouse stuff. And it inspired me to create my own night. So then I was like a promoter and then I started an Electro night. Is it Riot? Yeah, it's called yeah. Riot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did your research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then I started... Um, like an electro night and it was it, it started off really slow and then eventually it just i don't know what happened like we just hit it at the right time with the right music and it became like one of the more um pop- popular nights in the whole city oh, wow. of orlando and because it was a it was a college focused um dance music night before when dance music was like pretty underground still like the electro sound like was just kind of catching on i think it was like 2009 mm-hmm. we started it yeah so we ran it from 2009 to like 2000, ran it for like three years or so. And then um, the bar we did it at closed down and mm. relocated. Uh, it was just like our little baby was, we were forced to like, like lost our baby. Then I just kind of had to make the executive decision and to move out to LA. Mm-hmm. And right after college, you were like kind of stuck and not really sure on what you would do in your oh, career. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was like, you know, my dad's like, Henry, why don't you go work for... You need to go work for the government <laughs> work and do what I did. <laughs> I'm like, Ugh, no, I don't want to do that. And then I just was, so then I started DJing these little gigs and I was getting, you know, I was making good money. Uh, I was DJing four nights a week and you can have a really good living just being a local DJ, uh, DJing four nights a week. And mm-hmm. I was 
making a good living and I was, my dad's like, what are you doing? You just want to party and stuff? <laughs> and then it was just kind of like, I'm like, dad, I know I'm actually like, I have a living, I'm making a living out of this. Like I can live four days a week, DJing three, four days a week. And uh, I think my parents just was like, they just thought it was an excuse to keep partying after college. Uh... Cause like college was so much fun and they knew I had a good, a really good time in college and really take my school that seriously at the time, the time that I was there. Um, but what I did while I was there, I, I did, uh, I feel like I networked well with everybody. So just by, um, I was, a, I was in a fraternity and then throwing events and promoting things. I, I built up a good network of people and I just kind of got involved more on the nightlife stuff. So then my marketing stuff from college kind of played into building like a nightlife, like a, like a, a small level nightlife business and things like that. Mm -hmm. And, and then yeah. when I moved out here, I didn't have anything going on really. I had, a, I had maybe like one or two songs signed to a couple of record labels and things oh, like wow. that. So were you just um, randomly setting it? Was it ready to like the Mac or when you were trying to get your music out there initially? How did you get um, it out there? I think at that time it was actually just random. Um, I was sending random emails because I didn't know anybody. Yeah. So I would just send emails and then send emails and then eventually you send enough of them and people will <laughs> respond. So then I started... Um, getting some music signed just by sending random demo emails. Um, that's kind of how it all started. When you moved here, were you working other jobs? So luckily I moved out here and uh, now my mother-in-law, she was lucky, uh, she had just moved out here and my father-in-law, they had moved out here um, six months uh, before things were like not going well in Orlando. They were just like, hey, if you guys want to come out here, you can come out here and, you know, figure things out for a little bit. So I was fortunate enough to let them, uh, I lived in their house. So here oh, I am, wow. I move out to California and I'm like in my mid twenties and I'm living with my, you know, my girlfriend's parents at the time. And, and it's just like, I don't know. It makes, it, you're just like, okay, well, I, I gotta get out of here. I gotta work. I, I need to do something. And so I think that uh, kind of pressure was actually good. I actually like, I, I kind of like that pressure because mm -hmm. it's just not there's, there wasn't really an option to not like, make it work I guess yeah yeah how would you say you got your first momentum that got you more shows or touring and stuff I think it was one song I got signed to uh, it was a uh, bingo players label bingo mm -hmm. players has a label called uh, they still have this label called hysteria yeah and uh, they were putting out some of the hottest like club club music. So at the time. good, yeah. Yeah, remember you remember all those like yeah. hysteria records from like 2012 to like mm -hmm. 2015, like ah, oh, such a cool era of like club music. I miss it. <laughs> and yeah, they signed one of my records, and their manager at the time found me from the record I signed to their label. Because one of the guys I did the record with, he had a connection to Bingo Players, and then they saw me that I lived in, moved to LA after we did the release, and then. That's how I got a manager, and that's how I got an agent, and then I got oh, signed to wow. what is now Paradigm. At the time, it was the agency was called AM Only, mm -hmm. and then uh, the management company was a management company that um, had Tiesto. So the roster was like pretty dope. Like I got signed to this roster it was like I was like Tiesto, Tommy Trash, Bingo Players, Tritonal, mm -hmm. Dada Life. So then after I got on the roster with those guys, and then I just started. Uh, playing like support shows like I went on tour with Dada Life yeah I played uh, some of the support shows for bingo players beach party and stuff and and then it was all just kind of momentum from there and how did you meet Hardwell I met Hardwell he started playing a couple of my songs and then I ended up doing a release on his label 
And then he just would always support my stuff. I don't know. We, we just talked back and forth on email and text. And then one, uh, one year in Miami, I ended up uh, meeting him. And just, we just, he's a super cool dude, man. Super, like once you get to know him, like just to have that level of a DJ, like that big, be like just down to just like sit there and just like kick it with you and mm-hmm. just talk about music stuff. Like he's like, he's like a real producer, producer. He like, oh, wow. he masters his music. He likes mixing his own music and stuff like that. So he's the kind of guy you can sit down there and you can like nerd out with him about like tech, like tech, audio tech yeah. stuff. And that's like really cool. So like, you know. We'll like talk and we'll talk about that kind of stuff and mixing and audio engineering things. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, and then we did a collab in 2017. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just had this like, so Hardwell like grew up in the Netherlands and um, they're really influenced by dance hall over there back in the day. And he actually, um, he's got like a good, he's got like a good encyclopedia of like, dance hall music is. oh wow yeah yeah, yeah. I, people don't realize yeah. he, used to, he used to be a dance hall dj too a little bit and they had their own form the netherlands so had cool. their own form of music called bubbling so bubbling was they took they sped up all these dance hall songs mm-hmm. and they put these drums on it oh my god i want to listen to it yeah so look up uh, dutch yeah. bubbling music mm-hmm. and that's how what hardwell was doing before he was doing he was doing the mainstream medium stuff so he knows all about you know dance hall and reggae music and stuff so i was like yo dude let's just like make like a dance hall song and he was like, let's do it. And then so we finished this demo and then uh, he got Mr. Vegas to jump on. Mr. Vegas, like, you know, dance hall legend. He had one of the, arguably has one of the most popular dance hall songs of all time. Mm-hmm. Like someone that me and him had both looked up to when we were little, listening to in the 90s. So if you guys don't know, Mr. Vegas, Heads High, dance hall classic. Um, and he got Mr. Vegas on the track. And then it was just like one of those things like, what? Hardwell did a dance hall song? <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, he was, knows about dancehall. <laughs> How about with Steve Aoki? They signed one of my records back in the day. I forget what year it was. It might have been... Steve had uh, supported a couple of my records in, like, 2014. Mm-hmm. And then I just uh, got in touch with him. And, you know, I was just told him, I was like, man, your di- the early Dimac stuff that you guys have done just, like, super influential on yeah. the on the, uh, the night that I had built in Orlando on that, like, that blog house electro sound. Like everything that that label did was like super influential to me, so it was it was cool to finally work with them. And then I think after he had played a couple of my songs, they had just asked for some demos and stuff. And then um, and then I released a song with them in 2015, maybe called "Drop It Down Low," mm-hmm. and it was another dancehall song. So that was like the time I had kind of been looking to like pivot a little bit. I was kind of sick of making like 128 BPM stuff. And yeah, I kind of just decided to go back to the kind of music that I had enjoyed early on in high school. As we were talking about, like growing up in South Florida, listening mm-hmm. to a lot of like the dancehall stuff and Latin stuff. Yeah, I just decided to kind of take a route back that way with some of my songs. What click do you start your own imprint or record label? Oh, I was just really into just finding like the best club music I could find. Because uh, I felt like I was getting so much cool music from... Um, artists that nobody knew like smaller artists and I was just like well what if I just start my own record label I can like give these kids a platform and I can put out the styles of music that no one's really I used to have a lot more time uh, back then to do my label and stuff now I'm trying to figure out how to get it going again because it's running a label people don't understand it's like where's all the releases where's this it's like super time consuming yeah to run to run your own record label and you really need to hire hire a team to do it yeah we put out some really awesome records though over the years I'm really proud of all the artists that 
uh, we had signed and I think in the future we're, I'm going to try to get it pumping again so mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and you kind of mentioned before but staying true to your style and I feel like you've kind of not been not caught up in so many trends or like trying to work with the next hottest like producer is that something that's like a cautious decision yeah not so much like I, like to an extent I think it's like a lot of artists do keep up with the trends a little bit but I I think there's kind of this my more of the second wave of my sound I started messing around with some of the dance hall and like Latin rhythms like in maybe 2000 see that that stuff had a had a big go in like 2011 2012 and then it died mm -hmm. and then it kind of started to come back I think you saw like like Latin and dancehall stuff start become real popular again in like 2016 to 2017 and I started playing around with it and uh, I think towards the the end of 2014 to the into 2015 and then it was just kind of it was kind of cool it just kind of collided I started messing around with it and I did drop it down low on Steve Aoki's label uh, Dimac and that song kind of caught on and yeah it was just like a perfect timing because then then all that whole kind of global sound came back around in like mainstream music mm -hmm. are you gonna try to work with more Latin artists kind of like how Diplo or Dylan Francis are like yeah I, I, mean, I, I love I love like all genres of Latin music you know it's not my I wouldn't call it my specialty. I love yeah. it, but yeah, absolutely plan on doing a couple more things. Uh, I got one of my EP coming out. My full EP drops next week, actually. Oh, there's nice. A, yeah, there's like a Latin song on there. Oh. What are your other inspirations for your EP coming out? So the EP, it's called the Fong Island EP. I know it sounds kind of like a typical name, but it, it's, <laughs> it, I just want it to be so like, it is what it sounds like. Like yeah. Fong Island, like what do you think the music sounds like? It's like very chill. Yeah. summer vibe kind of music mm -hmm. there's like a dance hall song on there there's like uh the latin song then there's a reggae song i did with uh rome from sublime with rome yeah and it's like super chill reggae song and then um and then there's one like kind of dj song on there uh but it's featured uh, i did with my friends raw tech they're from la too it's featuring craigie t he's uh he's from like the legendary dance hall group tok from the yeah. 90s it's like another one i used to listen to like a lot back in the day like dudes are legends mm -hmm. and then uh one of the other features i have on one of the other songs is uh this other guy general degree he's like another like dance hall og oh wow so for me i'm just like i want to even though like those artists may not be well known amongst like the current generation and stuff I, like i feel like i just want to like put some of these ogs on my track work with guys that inspired me back in like the 90s or 2000s and figure out a way to kind of combine like some new age music production with some of the guys that are like you know so cool. oh geez yeah. are you planning to put out like a really big album after that or not for a while no no album yet i, yeah. I feel like i have so many other boxes to check before i kind of go down that road really but... like what i think everyone wants to hear like a full, full <laughs> i mean i had enough to do yeah. an album it just like i just feel like it wasn't the right time like mm. to, like to drop an album like i feel like you as an artist, like it's it's good to do that at a really special time where you're really like at your at your best. And I feel like I have so much more work to do before I'm at my best that I wouldn't be do any of the music justice to just like drop it right now. You know? mm -hmm. But I, yeah, I got a bunch of club music though. I'm really excited about too after the EP. So the EP is just like chill summer stuff kind of. And after that, I, know I have like super hard club club music just to be like, look, I can still I can go back and forth from this stuff and I can go back to the club stuff and I can still you know, I can still make a, a club banger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is something that I asked, like, Gammy, too, and uh, Bro Safari, but how has your perspective on life changed after you've become a father? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, 
it's just one of those things is like you don't know what it's like until you do it and it, with all things in life I think you just you always can push yourself further and you can always be a better person mm -hmm. and you can always do more and that kind of taught me that like look I have so much more potential than than what I thought I had like you, you think about like you know being a dad or something and you're just like there's no way it's gonna ruin my life I can't do this and then it actually happens and you just embrace it and it's it's the best thing ever and you're just like wow I didn't even know I was capable of like you know being such a like a loving human being mm -hmm. yeah and I, I think that's the that's the coolest part about it mm -hmm. and I think some people are curious but have you always had dreads or when did you start having dreads? <laughs> <laughs> um I got them in college I remembered I had like really long curly hair and I just was like when you have like long curly hair you know you got to brush it and stuff yeah and just a couple times I just like didn't brush it and I would get like one dread yeah. And then I would get another dread, and then I had another one, and then the next thing I know I had like five on my head, and I was like, whatever, let's let it go. <laughs> and then I had six, and then I had seven, and then I was like, fuck it, I'm getting dreads. <laughs> and then, I don't know, and then I became, I started DJing and stuff, and it just kind of became my signature. Yeah. It's just like people kn knew you for that, and then after that it was kind of hard to cut it, you know. Yeah, weren't you going to for the Swedish House Mafia, the tweet that you did? You know what, I screwed up big time because <laughs> that was a whole nother thing. That was funny because I predicted that long before anyone even knew. I was like, there's no way it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And then everyone's like, further into the week, as Miami Music Week goes on, everyone already knew that it was going to happen. Everyone's like, dude, you're an idiot. We, my, like, my agent like, texted me, they're like, Henry, we heard it's actually going to happen. Like, I was like, oh. Like, yeah, because it right. at least take you like 10 years to grow back. Because I yeah. was convinced, because I, I pulled the trigger a week early on the, uh, on the bet, and that I didn't really think it was going to happen. And then... I made this stupid bet and it started going kind of viral and then it was like on, it was on fucking Reddit, R-E-D-M and the, like it was yeah. like going crazy on Twitter and all of these people are blowing me up like, you better fucking cut your hair on Sunday. I was like, no. <laughs> so it happened and then I was like, I was in Florida and I was at home and I was like at my mom's house and I was like, I got to go do something. So I said, I was like, I would go jump in the fountain blue pool naked. Yeah. Obviously couldn't do that. Uh, get arrested but so then I picked so then I did it but I picked like this bridge in my local town that everyone like all the daredevils go and jump off of yeah and what people don't know about where I live in Jupiter Florida there's it's very well known for its sharks oh. so some of the biggest biggest bull sharks I'm oh talking in the entire world they go underneath this bridge divers see them all the time like fishermen uh, fishermen have seen them like I'm talking six seven hundred pound bull sharks like tanks like big around is like like a like a volkswagen beetle like massive bull yeah. sharks like man eaters <laughs> <laughs> so i was just like all right maybe if i do something like a little crazy like that they'll they'll let me go so i did it i, I tried to i tried to replace the back because i'm like and then I, I got one one dread shaved off the yeah. back of my neck <laughs> just for just to say i did one at least yeah <laughs> some people were like that's not enough you bitched out and some people are like all right it's funny still whatever yeah. so that was that mm -hmm. what but would yeah. have been the biggest challenges in your life so far biggest challenges in life is I, I think the hardest part about everything is seeing the longevity in things mm -hmm. like being a, a musician or a dj is just like uh, people get so caught up in like this like one or two year time when you're like you know you're having your your first wave of momentum and then that comes and goes and then it's the next thing and then it's the next thing and then you kind of like now I've been a DJ for 10 years now yeah 
and I've been able to see the macro and like zoom out and I think the biggest challenge is like trying to plan for the future and trying to figure out um, how you're going to have a long-lasting career in music because everyone knows that it's notoriously one of like the most difficult yeah. uh, industries to work in. And not only that, like you know, people are come and go like this, and so I'm doing my best to really just try to zoom out and be like, you know, what do I want my legacy to look like in in music, and how can I make the best music that I can make, and how can I, and I, I fully believe at this point, you know, so many trends come and go, so many artists come and go, and I think at the end of the day, um, the, the best thing that you can do is just make the best music you can and make you know music that kind of outlives yeah. time and so that's kind of where my head's at and just try to get in the studio work with some really talented you know singers songwriters and just you know kind of just create good music mm -hmm. what does love mean to you i think love is just accepting people for who they are yeah you know? i think that's how i would see it mm -hmm. last question what do you want to be remembered for man i don't know <laughs> I, I I think my thing, my kind of mantra through, because I, I kind of learned how to like navigate through like weird social situations in college from like being in a fraternity mm. and dealing with like all kinds of crazy stuff going on. I just, my thing is I just kind of want to be remembered as a guy that was just like kind of got along with everybody, you know, yeah. I just, I, I've always like kind of prided myself on that. I, I, can, I feel like I can get along with all kinds of people and I just kind of want People be, look back and be like, you know, he's a good dude. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, nothing crazy. Just something, something simple as that is, I think, you know, that's important to me. Yeah, I love this. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Right on. <laughs> Bye.